You're listening to the DC Real Estate Podcast, the podcast where we focus exclusively on all things local to the DMV area. Local investors, local knowledge, local experts. Our journey starts now. Hey, welcome back to this week's episode of the DC Real Estate Podcast. My name is Russell Brazil. I am an associate broker with Arlo Real Estate. And I just want to say we've been laid off for a little while because I got COVID, so I was sick for a couple of weeks, traveling for a couple of weeks, and got COVID again. So we've been off for a while, but we're excited to be back. Yep, excited to be back. Um, Sarah Frank, also a agent with Arlo Real Estate on the District Invest Group. And this week's guest, we have one of my good friends, Robert Garcia here. Say hey. Hey, everybody. Thanks, Russell, for having me uh, over today. So, Robert, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing and what makes uh, what your sort of unique position in the market is. Sure, no problem. So, yeah, I, um, I've been in real estate for about 18 years. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an agent with uh, Long & Foster, and uh, I, I, do, I sell real estate and also manage and coach a group of realtors that we've been probably selling about $150 million dollars. Uh, for the last three, four years. And uh, that's um, kind of responsible for, you know, getting some of the new agents off the ground, creating systems for people to that can be more productive. And, you know, like there are agents that most agents kind of reach, get to that ceiling of $10 million in sales, and they don't know what to do after that to kind of like, you know, help them coach them to break that ceiling, get into the, you know, 11 to $20 million and so on. But I uh, yeah, it's it's been a journey. I, I I love real estate, and I thank you for the opportunity to have me come over. Yeah, I was looking at your guys' stats just the other day. I did, uh, I was texting with you with it a little bit because they just published the real trends list, and I think you guys had done 146 million last year. And I forget what you guys were ranked in Maryland, but it was it was really really high. It was like seventh or ninth or something like that, probably. Um, and it was you guys are always ranked that high, but your volume looked uh, like a pretty good. Pretty big jump from last year. Yeah, yeah. We definitely had a nice jump from the, the year before, about probably 20, 28, 27 million more than the, the year before. But that also has to do with the prices, how they're going up and so on. But yeah, it was, it was a nice jump. So we were very happy with that. Yeah. Did you guys bring any new people onto the team or is that just people expanding how much they were selling each? Yeah, basically we did bring one new agent, uh, but as, as is expected, new agent that probably first year they only did about five million dollars uh we wanted them to do a little bit more but you know it's, it's tough i mean especially listings because like 85 percent of our business comes from listings and the rest is on the buy side so definitely it's just competing for listings last year was what's a lot that's a lot of work yeah i mean the number of listings while well, they have ticked up a a little bit here are you know it's a dying breed so 10 years ago in the market nationally, we were looking at about 1.6, 1.7 million listings uh, at about this time of the year nationally. Um, in June of 2022, this year, um, 600,000 listings. So a million less than 10, than about 10 years ago. Um, just an insanely low number. Oh yeah. I've, I've been tracking the, the numbers just specifically here in Montgomery County for all type of units. Townhomes, condos, co-ops, single families, you know, duplexes, you name it. And back in February of this year, we only had uh, like under 600 units for sale. I think uh, this week we finally made it to the 1,400. That's a combination of coming soon and active right now. Yeah, and we are the either the largest or the second largest jurisdiction. It goes back and forth between Fairfax County in the D.C. metro area with 1.1 million people in this county. 
and we're talking about 600 to 1400 available houses to buy like i know it is uh not not enough housing for the amount of people here there is not and interest rates actually you know they've been going down a little bit which is weird that they go up and then start to come down and I mean, I, I've seen like a lot of people making, you know, multiple offers, still not getting them, not final, they're getting them, but also seen a lot of prices getting cut. I've seen like normally every Friday, Zillow will send me an email, say price adjustment, price adjustment, price adjustment, something that you were not seeing back in like, you know, last, last fall for sure, even winter, you didn't see those things coming up and the slowest time of the year to sell or buy a house. Yeah. So that, that's actually a great point on the price cut. So I, I dove deep into, uh, price reductions on Instagram this week. So the stats are really, really, uh, set on my mind. So this past month we had, and this, this is a national number, not a local number, 14.9% of, uh, listings had a price reduction in, in the last 30 days nationally. Um, and that sounds like a huge, huge number. And you know what? It is a huge number compared to the last two years because uh-huh. the last two years that was at 11% in the year before 8%. So going from eight to about fifteen percent, about doubling. Yep. Um, but it's actually still below what we would consider the normal range. So mm-hmm. I dug into uh, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen. What we found in a normal hot seller's market was between fifteen and twenty-two percent of listings would experience uh, summer price cuts. Yes. And that's that's normal. Um, but the last two years have been completely abnormal. Correct. It, it, they've just been really unusual years. And uh, one of uh, before we had these, uh, one of our brokers will say this. He says once of the the Fourth of July fireworks go up, prices come down, yeah. and that's I think is still the case, but not as it used to be before COVID, where you will see more drastic price adjustments. I think right now. You're only going to see price adjustment for people that overprice their homes. If you price it right, that house will go under contract right away. And there might be some concessions here and there. But I'm glad to see the the home inspections are now welcome back and appraisals and things like that are are really back on the market, which it's I you know needed for a healthy market, especially for first time home buyers. Yeah, actually, um, we had just mentioned on another episode that we recorded uh, earlier today, which will actually air next week after this, um, Sarah was talking about the the return of home inspections. Yeah, I mean, I'm a relatively new agent, so the first couple months, I don't think I went on, I think I went on one inspection, maybe, and then the past week, I've gone on three, so it's new. Yeah, and we were, we were interviewing the Frederick Home Inspector, um, and he said that his business has shifted from all the walk and talks he's been doing the last two years mm-hmm. um, to he's finally doing real inspections. Yep. Yep. Yeah. The walk and talks were very, very common. A lot of people were just doing. I remember this was this house in North Potomac that the listing agent told me we have opened up this window of time for buyers and inspectors to do a walk and talk. And I said, well, I told my client I said, hey, we have between this time and this time on this day to do our walk and talk. And he said, well, why don't we just do the two of us, the walk and talk without an inspector? So, okay, let's do it. We got there and no joke. There were probably like 20 sets of buyers with their own inspectors. And they, everybody was just saying hi to each other because they all know each other, the inspectors and so on. That's just how crazy it was. I'm, I'm talking, this is like February, March of this year, like not far, I mean, just a couple months ago. 
Yeah, I mean, really, the market has shifted quite a bit in the last 60, 90, 120 days. Um, but what I'm seeing, and I, this is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on to, to get your perspective, because you're not just you're not just one agent seeing your one perspective of, you know, say 30 deals a year. I don't know what you do, but I'm just saying 30. But you're seeing um, the results of what your whole team does and running a mega team. You're seeing like what what's what's impacting 10 different agents. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you have a unique perspective. What I've been seeing is really just a return to normalcy. Correct. Um, but I, I haven't seen normalcy in three years, but people, I, I'm also seeing people overreact to what should be normal market conditions because, you know, we probably have 5,000 agents in the metro area who've never seen a normal market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, 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 that's the reality. Having the the advantage and privilege to work with these other agents that are at different stages in their careers just to see how they are, you know, struggling with securing new transactions, commissions, and all the other things, it gives me a, a nice advantage to help them grow in that. And what I think is going back to this normal market, it's what I've been telling people, said the the conditions of from COVID to probably early this year have been very unusual. I remember seeing the market meltdown in 2009 and 2010, and I before that, you know, you have subprime lending and all those things, but nothing compares to what we've seen right now so far in terms of in- increasing prices. Now, I think the the thing here is going to be the sellers that are still having their minds that I want to price my house very high because I still hear things are good. You got to be very careful with these type of sellers because what's going to happen as an agent is, you, especially if you're a new agent and you don't know how to negotiate that, they're just going to bring you to list the property. They're going to make you spend all this kind of money, try all these different things to try to sell their home. And at the end of the day, they're go, you're going to expire because they're going to say, well, if you have not been able to sell my house in the first 60 days under the market conditions we are in, Something's wrong with you. And of course, always the agent's fault. Never the seller, never the buyer. It's always the agent's fault, right? So just, uh, just be very careful how you're going to be pricing houses because that's going to be this transition period we are in right now between now and probably the next spring market. It's, it's crucial for a lot of agents to survive and to be able to make it happen and price the house right. Because if you don't price it right, then you're in trouble because you're going to have to make a couple adjustments. And the thing is, once you make one adjustment and you don't sell the house, it's just like buyers just smell blood on, on the streets, right? Like, okay, so if they got one adjustment, I'm sure I can make another one as I negotiate my my offer in. And as I'm doing a home inspection, I'm sure I can make another price adjustment or get some credit of some type. So it's, it's a very interesting. So be careful how you price your homes. Yeah, pricing strategy is a skill that... People haven't used in two or three years now. They mm-hmm. don't know how to properly price, right? So during the last two years, you could drastically underprice and the market was going to bid things up to where they should be. You could overprice your house during this these past two years and your house was still going to sell. Now we have to get back to creating a strategy around pricing that is appropriate for the individual property and individual neighborhood that it's in. Correct. Right? And so as we know – in the past, I would price a house different in Rockville than I would say in Germantown because I would know in Rockville, in a normal seller's market, I'm going to get three to five offers. Correct. And so underpricing in Rockville was the go-to strategy, not drastically, not a hundred thousand, underpricing at twenty grand. Mm-hmm. But in Germantown, 
I wasn't going to sell a house in Germantown in the past in seven days. So I don't want to underprice it by 25 grand in Germantown because then I'm leaving 25 grand on the table. Correct. So it would have taken me longer. So pricing strategy is going to be paramount as we get back to normalcy. And as you said, not only are there going to be sellers who overprice, um, there's going to be agents that are just not as experienced that are going to be making the, you know, these pricing mistakes. Yeah, you'll see two types of mistakes. Agents will do overpricing a house because they don't know how to price it and not also not being able to coach their clients to make a price adjustment with needed, right? Some people are going to probably wait 30 days to make a price adjustment in a changing market like this one. 30 days is way too long. I think it's they already missed the market. By that time, maybe they need two price adjustments if they overprice. If you price it right, you're probably going to get an offer. And I always tell people, you know, there was this seller that was telling me that I want to price it at this much. And I and I told the seller, I said, listen, you can price it at this much, but the buyers are not going to see the value. I said, well, but somebody can make me an offer for 50 below asking and we can still negotiate. I said, the problem you have is that you don't have a 50,000 overpriced. You have 150,000 overpriced. So and a buyer is probably not want to be willing to make you an offer 150,000 below the asking price because they feel like they're going to offend you. And by the time you make the first price adjustment of $50,000, you still overpriced. So I said, you got to understand that it, this is, you got to go with the market is. And I see a lot of agents just chasing the market, reacting to the market. We have something that we said that agents, you know, a good agent, you'll know because they have a greatest strategy, but then also have the four agents that have the work with the four P's. Basically, they put a sign on the property, they put a lockbox on the property, they put flyers, and they just go, uh, put them in the MLS with flyers, and they go in the back to pray that the house sells. And that's not going to work anymore. It's just really not going to work. You got to come up with a strategy. If your agent doesn't give you a strategy for pricing and how to react to the market, red flag right there. And the four P's, worked the last two years yeah well one p just put it in the mls and yeah that, and that was it no pictures even yeah <laughs> yeah just just put it in the mls but yeah so in so there's an interesting phenomenon that happens in the market as markets are super 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 hot the number of licensees that enter the market um increases drastically and um, we just crossed the fifty thousand dollar licensee threshold in maryland i don't know the counts in Virginia or DC. But the last time we were at 50,000 was at the height of the housing bubble. Mm-hmm. And then when the market collapsed, the number of licensees in Maryland dipped to about 25,000 has been steadily rising since then. So now we're at back at around 50,000. And as the market starts to normalize, what we're going to see is the license count is going to start going down mm-hmm. because these people that thought they were able to make easy, quick money here are going to realize Oh, there, there's actually like skills involved here that I need to know. There's, there's, you know, I need to actually know how to market a house for sale. Mm-hmm. And those that can't, uh, are going to get flushed out. So we, we should see at least two or 3,000. But I think because of how high the agent count is, I think we could see a 10%, 5,000, uh, reduction in licensees over the next 24 months or so. Right. Right. I think, I think that's what's, what's coming in terms. And, you know, a lot of people got into the real estate because got licenses because they want to start flipping homes on their own, right? Like I'll do four or five flips a year. I have my license. I don't have to pay a realtor. So you also have a lot of that kind of a type of agent that were doing a lot of things on their own as the market becomes really hard. As you said, a lot of agents, I remember back in 08 and 09 that the, the market, 
got rid of so many agents automatically only because there was just really not enough business. And the only business that was left over is short sales and foreclosures. And I'm telling you, to close a short sale back in 2009 and, and 2010, you probably needed six months from the time they went under contract. You probably needed an attorney to help you to push this thing. I mean, it was a lot of work. And well, and then remember, too, when they introduced that law that – that the agents couldn't negotiate the short sale. They had exactly. to get the the special new license, the short sale negotiator to. Exactly. Um, and that really extended things. Yeah, it, it was just it was just so awful. So I'm glad that we are not going to see that. This is not a market meltdown, market crash. This is a market reset or correction, if you want to put it that way, which is going to bring the market back to natural. So don't don't be afraid. Market will continue to be good. Don't just things are just going to be different. And by different, I mean more natural. Only an agent that's been on this kind of type of market, at least or in in the industry for the last 10 years will tell you, yeah, this is back to normal. Um, so just don't buy into that whole fear that market is crashing because it's not going to crash. I don't see anything out there that tells me that we're going to crash this market. I mean, prices are a function of supply and demand. Exactly. Um, and we still have a national housing shortage. We have a local housing shortage. Um, so when prices collapsed 15 years ago, Again, it was all about supply and demand. So supply hit something like an absurd 15 months of supply, you know, at the 2008, 9, 10, around there. Like, so just one house for sale for like every like, you know, no one could buy the houses. There was just so many of them for sale. Now, now we're, there's no houses for sale still. We're not building any houses um, rising interest rates are going to lock trade up buyers in the place. So instead of buyers selling their old home and buying a, a new bigger home, they're going to look at, oh man, I've got a 2.5% interest rate. I'm going to have to borrow at 5.5%. Why am I going to move? Mm-hmm. So rising interest rates are going to put downward pressure on inventory, exasperating our already low inventory. Yeah, and you heard from the, I don't know if you saw the news recently from builders, their confidence level, it's not to the, to, to the level that we wanted to see, which means builders are going to kind of slow down the pulling permits for new construction because number one, you know, the whole supply issue with all the materials and lumber has hit them pretty hard. Labor, I, I was surprised to hear that they are having a hard time getting, um, people to come and, and help them, um, build new homes to the, to the, point they're advertising in other states to maybe they can bring people because there is not enough uh, labor people like workers around here. And of course, with that in mind, and the increase of interest rates, builders will say, well, maybe I shouldn't be building. I was thinking to do 200 homes in this development, maybe I just do 50 or maybe just put the whole development on, on hold. So that plus the pressure you just said, it's just not not going to look pretty in the next couple months and years for supply purposes. Yeah. I mean, labor shortages, uh, inflation and the costs of the wood, the brick, all the materials. And then builders, they're not just sitting on cash. They're, they're borrowing the money. So they're borrowing at higher rates. So they're getting, they're really getting squeezed. And one thing we mentioned this on the other episode too, um, that I've seen that clearly illustrates um, builders lack of confidence is the builders have all started raising the commissions they're offering to agents back to industry standard after having them 
substantially lower over the last two years. There was sometimes where I saw a builder was offering a thousand dollars, sometimes five hundred dollars commission, uh, and now pretty much everyone I'm looking at a at a normal commission rate. Oh yeah, yeah. Bu- builders took really good advantage of this industry because they knew they buyers probably didn't need a realtor. And honestly, I always tell people. Where you really can get screwed up, it's buying a house from a builder without a realtor. Because these, remember, the builder, their goal is to build this house as fast as possible, get the permit, and get a buyer to buy this house so they can close that development, get the funding they need so that loan can open up for the next phase of the construction or the next project. So they don't care about the the materials they use. I mean, I remember back in 08 or 09, they had all this Chinese drywall that it was just like, what's a mess? I mean, you just your finger will go through the whole <laughs> drywall if you would ap- apply too much pressure because that's they just didn't care. They just needed to source the material, put it together, make sure the corners aligned, looks like a corner, paint it, and give the keys and just move on. So they're also going to face the pressure of buyers that also bought with them and the houses were just being built so fast that they're going to have some issues now with these homes because I already have a lot of clients that have complained that the quality of the construction of the homes they just bought in the last two years is not to the standards they expected. Of course, they have a warranty. They can go back to the client, the builder and, and put a complaint. But if they didn't do anything from with the standards expected from ground up, I mean, after the warranty expires, then they just just going to be in trouble. A lot of people are going to be in trouble with it. I mean, there's a lot of people getting uh, sort of buyer's regret, not just new construction, but across the whole spectrum, right? Because so many people bought without home inspections the last few years, um, especially if they didn't have an agent that set proper expectations for them about what homeownership means, what I should be spending to maintain the home. Now they're all sort of getting buyer's regret like, should I have bought this? So now I'm having these problems with this house because they think they think a house has no problems, right? And so we're seeing a lot of buyers regret coming up. Oh yeah, that's going to happen. I think you're going to see a lot of buyers kind of like say, "I wish I would have done this. I wish I'd have done that." So I think that that's coming, and I, I see a lot of legal problems coming down the road, especially for brand new agents that didn't investigate, didn't do the proper homework. Because as I said before. If they cannot blame the seller, they'll blame the realtor, right? They always have to find someone that they can blame. And realtors carry errors and omissions insurance. So they say, maybe we should just go after the real estate agent insurance and for them to pay for this thing. So it's it's, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen in the next two years. Hopefully it doesn't, but uh, based on what I've, I've seen in the past, it may happen. Yeah, I mean, ways. a great skill that agents should have, right, and good agents do is that when transaction ends, their relationship with that client doesn't end. If they're staying, if they're maintaining that relationship and they're becoming an advocate for all things real estate or home related for their clients over the next coming years, well, no one's going to uh, take out their anger on their friends that's advocating right. for them. They're they're but the kind of agents that will you know be sort of shooting themselves in the foot are the ones that. You never hear from that guy after closing. Yeah, um, transactional type of agents. Yeah, and that's all they care. And and as we know, there's thousands of them out there. Oh yeah. It's just crazy how many people they just think they can sell homes and they just did it and when the market goes belly up they're just going to put their license in like a you know some kind of status that referral status and they're just going to disappear. Of course, it doesn't mean you cannot track them and get after them, but I think brokerages are going to have a lot of it. And that's the other thing, brokerages in their effort just to 
hire more agents. They just hired anybody that could say, I have a license. So they just kept hiring and hiring. And they will say, well, just follow that guy. It's a top producer. See what he does or she does. And then you'll learn from that person and you'll be fine. And that's the other thing that, you know, I think with brokerages too, we we will see that very interesting shift happening uh, with all these new brokers that come out that are like uh, online brokers and and, uh, digital, you know, technology companies that happen to sell real estate versus the old traditional brokers that are being around here. Well, as you and I know too, from being in this industry for a while, um, during economic slowdowns, because the real estate brokerage business is really thin margin. Mm-hmm. So during recessions, a number of them end up going bankrupt yep. because they are very thin. So once that volume drops off, they'll be gone. Uh, you know, there's God knows how many there was during that last recession. Um, so there's going to be a number of these people that are not profitable today. Exactly. And they're going to go from slightly not profitable to huge, losing huge sums of money. Um, exactly. And we see some we see some brokerages preparing for that, right? Um, Compass and Redfin both laid off uh, what about ten percent of their staffs each yep, to prepare for this. So it'll be we see that they're already anticipating this, um, but other brokerages are hiring, um, and so they're looking at the weakness in the market and they're trying to grow into the weakness at properties, a Chicago-based brokerage, which we're uh, uh, affiliated with now is. They've announced that they're going to be opening multiple more offices during in during the economic slowdown. So that that'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Those two sort of uh, strategies. I think that the brokerages that being able to figure out their their bottom line and their overhead, and they've been able to apply technology to just keep it very consistent. I think those are the brokerages that are probably going to thrive in this kind of market. Those brokerages that were offering too much and they had like the most expensive, you know, lease on, on in town for the buildings and so on. I think those are the brokers because now let's be honest, a lot of realtors don't go to their offices anymore, right? They only go if they need to print a large package and which doesn't even happen because you do a lot of electronic signature nowadays. So those are the brokers is going to have to, you know, look at again and they're going to start consolidating office space or letting other space in their building. They have, I mean, there's going to be a lot of things that you're going to see coming in the next days. Now, hopefully those other brokerages are more digital. They can make it in this kind of market. And that's we'll still, that's still a big test. And only time will tell us if that's the right strategy and formula to grow in this um, very competitive business right now. Well, and that's something Long and Foster has been doing is the consolidation of offices, right? They've been merging multiple offices, right? So they, they probably cut their commercial office space footprint, I would imagine, by half over the last five, five years or so. Easily, easily. Yeah, I think there's that's kind of been working on. And I think they still have way, way to go. But they're also sitting on, uh, I think they're, they're, they're financially speaking, I think they're fine. But, you know, markets, when they change, even the the best brokers out there have gone out of business. So we'll see how they, this happens in the next two or three years. Yeah. I think it's going to be a lot of the discount brokers who are operating on such thin margins are going to get hurt. And then additionally, the, uh, the brokerages with the really, really high splits because they're not nearly as profitable. Right. So, um, long and foster is not the place with the highest split by any means. Um, but that will help them weather the economic downturn. So I think so. Um, not that agents care about that, but it's really interesting, you know, as students of the industry, um, it's something I'm, I'm, I have my eyes on. Exactly. So, uh, what are you guys tracking with for your volume so far this year? 
So we definitely are uh, a little bit under compared to last year, the, around this time of the year. Uh, our, our volume is, we probably, my gut feeling is, we did, you know, 146 last year. My gut feeling is we probably get to 120 to 130 this year. That's what we probably will end up. Uh, we've seen um, a nice increase in business in the last two or three weeks. Very unusual for July, but it's definitely happening. So I think some buyers are very, there's a little bit more inventory, interest rates are still decent so i think that's going to be probably where we're going to be but it, it's definitely uh, what i heard from a lot of the other realtors friends that i have in the industry everybody their numbers are not where they need to be so far everybody experiencing a slowdown they're off in their projections and of course they're also starting to make adjustments in their overhead and marketing and so on because they don't expect they're going to see the same numbers as last year but the nice thing is you have to adjust you have to build models that they're good when you are doing really well in business and also create models where things are not as healthy that you are to build those things. And that adjustment is, it's interesting that you have to create a lot of people still believe they can be operated under the same things. Uh, it was funny because I was hearing this guy on social media is that he just got his real estate license. And the first thing he did, he went and bought a, a $65,000 BMW <laughs> just to impress his clients. Right. And I, I was like, Oh my gosh, this guy does him has no clue what he's doing right now. So it doesn't work like that guys. I mean, it, as you all, you know, real estate agents are not known for yeah, some people think we get paid a lot, but the average realtor in the whole country makes less than $45,000 a year. So don't don't be tricked to think that realtors are just like sitting on stacks of cash. That's quite the opposite. A lot of these guys go credit card to credit card sometimes just to make it happen. So it's just, uh, but the adjustment in the market definitely is going to bring, leave the best agents that you can work with and just pay attention uh, work with them, see what how they are adjusting to the market changes. And of course, we, we always tell people, interview one, two, three agents, always have multiple agents uh, to interview. Um, we just ask to be one of them, but that's all, that's how we do it. Yeah, I think that the initial really big jump in interest rates really shocked the market, right? And it that kind of pushed out a ton of buyers. But I think it, now that we've gotten sort of past that, um, people were like, okay, this isn't, that bad yeah. um, and sort of have perspective and the big jump in rates, you know, sort of receded back. And so that's brought buyers back into the market. Mm-hmm. And so not at the rate they were, you know, six months ago, but at the rate they were in 2019, like at a, at a normal rate. Yep. Let me ask you this. Um, what do you think is going to happen with foreign buyers? You think we're going to have more of them coming uh, in the next, uh, they see that maybe there's going to be some deals they can grab in real estate. Because back in 08, 09, uh, and 2010, we had a, like these like huge number of buyers, Russian buyers, Chinese buyers, uh, you know, a lot of Europeans coming and buy real estate for investment purposes because the, the market has touched the bottom and they knew like if we buy something, we keep it for five years, we sell it and we'll make some profit. What's your take on that right now? So I, I think this time around it's unlikely and it's because the dollar is strengthening like no one's business. Um, the, I mean, the, the euro is worth less than a dollar right now, right? So the euro in normal times is worth about a dollar and 30 cents. It's just been consistently dropping and dropping and it's down to about 99 cents right now. I think so. And part of that's not just the euro dropping, it's that the dollar is gaining such strength. So as the dollar is strengthening against all these other currencies, it's making American real estate more expensive. Uh, And by 
in you know by large percentages. So I think that the strong dollar is going to hurt foreign buyers coming in here. I think it's more likely in Europe where not only is the euro dropping in value, but uh, all of you know all the other currencies are as well. Where suddenly a lot of this European real estate is now on say a dollar basis is 30% cheaper than it was three years ago, just because of the uh, exchange rate. Right. Um, so I actually think that Europe is, is a very good chance of seeing an influx of foreign money. I think so. I, and, I, I am with you on that. And I, I, and it's something I'm kind of keeping in the back of my mind. Cause I'm looking at some of these places where if you look at, you know, Ireland uh, or let's say, let's take Budapest as an instance. You could, you could get a rocking condo in Budapest for like 150 grand a few years ago. Now it's like a hundred grand and not that the value on it dropped, just the exchange rate changed that right. much. Right. Um, so, so yeah, let's go buy some European real estate. Right, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are tracking a little low, um, not surprising after the crazy year, uh, but still tracking pretty good for, you know, definitely not falling off a cliff by any means. No, not at all. No, we, we still, I mean, it's pretty, pretty strong where we're kind of think we, we're going to end up the year. It's again, still, you know, the, the challenge now is if, if you were following up with clients only one or two times and then bingo, they now want to work with me. Now you have to follow up with them more, right? You have to double, triple the number of calls, the number of text messages, because now buyers, especially buyers, they just don't see why do I need to buy? As you said before, sellers, you know, typical case seller that is downsizing, right? They have this big house in Rockville. They have this great interest rate. And now anywhere they look at right now in Montgomery County, they want to go, they, they're going to have to pay a lot more. So they might as well just stay in the house for a little bit longer until prices, you know, come down a little bit more. So then it's that trade makes sense. But right now for a lot of, uh, especially senior citizens that, that, that are the ones that make a lot of the inventory available, it's not happening. A lot of these people are want to stay in their homes a little bit longer because just, again, it's for the cost approach, the affordability, it makes more sense to stay home at the current rate, or maybe the house is already paid off, than just go and do something. Now, you're always going to have people because of health issues and all the circumstances they have to sell or a lot of, you know, state sales and so on, That, that but that's not a big portion of the business around here. So it's it's going to be interesting, very very tricky to see. And then you have a nice number of millennials that now are to the point they're getting married, they're going to start having kids, and then that little condo townhome they bought, it's not longer the case. As yesterday, I was talking to this couple that they are been they've been renting, they they sold their home, which I don't know what they sold their townhome, they made good money. And they decided to rent and they've been making offer after offer with another realtor. They recently got referred to me making offers with these other realtors and they've lost like 12 offers or something like that. I mean, it's, it's just brutal. Yeah. But now they're just happy to see a little bit more inventory that happens. But they say like, you know, the neighbors where we want to leave, we notice that people are not selling. And we even have like gone and sent letters, door knocking. And a lot of the older people that live in these neighborhoods, it's just like, there's no incentive for us to move out. So that's exactly what's what you're going to see happening. And the millennials, they're, they're buying power. It's increasing. They have better jobs. They have some savings. They may inherit money from family members. So you do have a hungry segment of buyers that want to secure a piece of real estate, too. Yeah, their wages are growing with the labor shortage rates. Right. Uh, they're negotiating higher salaries. So they want to buy, but there's, there's still nothing for them to buy. Exactly. Uh, and... 
we can't get any more building permits approved in Montgomery County because nope. we have a uh, county executive who's against building. Exactly. Right. Um, we're hoping that the new the new council incoming will sort of help with aff- affordable housing issues. Right. We want more more building permits is really the number one thing. We need supply to increase yep. to meet meet demand and demand's been through the roof the past three few years, but still there's just not enough houses and you know, it's a real, real problem. Yep. Yep. I, I am with you. So um, tell, uh, tell the listeners where they can find out more about you, where they can follow you, where they can reach out to you if they want to. Sure. Uh, you know, I'm pretty active on social media. So definitely you can follow me on Instagram, uh, TikTok, and YouTube. My username at Robert Garcia Realtor. Um, you can just find me like that and definitely just like to. My approach is no sales pressure, just education. Basically, that's how kind of I do it. So basically, I want to put it, the information out there. You know, like I want to hopefully one day I will become like the, the YouTube or the Google real estate where you can you can type how to something. And hopefully I made a video about that at some point. But uh, yeah, working on it, it's 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 a lot of it's a lot of work, uh, especially, you know, balanced family. I have two two kiddos and work and some other commitments. Uh, it, it's not easy, but definitely it's uh, something that I enjoy. Uh, Russell and I have been friends for a long time and we always exchange ideas, text messages. Hey, have you seen this? Have you seen that? So uh, definitely I, I, I learned a lot from him too, that it's that he's has a, a good handle with a, uh, when it comes to working with, with investors and any other clients, but he definitely understands that flipping market and investors very well. So uh, we always bouncing back ideas. All right, so we're going to head on out, and we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the DC Real Estate Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to contact the hosts, reach out to them at info at dcrealestatepodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you access your podcasts. 